This is uh, Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are studying Acts. And today we are going to uh, wade in a little deeper in Acts chapter 11. Last week we kind of started in half-heartedly and uh, read the first half of it. But I don't think we really thoroughly discussed all of the, the nuance to it. So uh, we're going to get all the way through Acts today, hopefully, and uh, well, uh, chapter 11, and, um, and finish that up. Uh, so first of all, there's two sections in uh, chapter 11. Uh, first, Peter explains to the leadership in Jerusalem what he's been doing running around Samaria, talking to all of them Gentiles, and explaining his dream and what the Lord has revealed to him. And then we have discussions of happenings at the church in Antioch, which Luke puts in with a whole lot of cities and geography. And Luke is a detail man, and he is assuming that his readers understand the meaning of all of those places, and he includes those places for a reason. And so there's going to be some uh, geography today to kind of understand where he's going with all of that. So that's what we're up against. Um, beginning at chapter, well, verse 1, and I want to go ahead and read that section again and uh, finish that up. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, which would be the Jewish people that are believers, criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, and kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven. Which means that God said, don't call it unclean, and Peter did two more times in his dream. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Yeah. yeah he's good about these three things. Uh-huh. Right then, three men, speaking of threes, who had been sent to him from Caesarea, stopped at the house where I was praying. This would be Peter speaking. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, "'Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter.' He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then God has granted him, even the Gentiles, repentance unto life. You know, there's, there's, I know there's not probably an answer for this, but I've always I wonder 
what is the, I wonder what the big deal with circumcision is. I mean, I wonder, I mean, I know God commanded them to circumcise, but I just don't understand, I don't understand what, what being circumcised or not being circumcised has to do with the prostitute in China. I actually think it was for cleanliness. It was, yeah. Yeah, they did it for cleanliness. More, less disease. Yes. I've heard that argument a lot. Respectfully, I disagree. I think it was more to set the Jewish people apart. It was about separation so that you can visibly see that these guys are Jews and these guys aren't. You know, and how many there's see a whole it? lot of Jews in the world now. <laughs> Came up during World War II. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, and so I think it's just a, a, a separation thing. It was a part of uh, segmenting the chosen people. Uh, so the, the good Jewish people who are following the traditions of the Jews are questioning Peter. And I think it's also interesting that Peter, who is arguably the leader of the Christian church at this point, he's the head apostle. He carries more status and rank than anybody preaching in the kingdom at this point, right? So this is, this is the boss that's, that's, that, that's uh, coming down, and they're challenging him. Well, it shows they're full of, they've got a lot of bigotry and racism. I think so. And, and so, and Peter, if he was any number of other men I know, would have said, because I said so, and walked away. Because that's what bosses do to show how tough they are, right? Yeah, you've been around right? some principles. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. You and I have met this guy yeah. a couple times, yeah. Yeah, we've met that guy. So, um, that's not what Peter does. And I, and I think... It's interesting, Peter's approach. He systematically summarizes the entire chapter 10. You feel like you're reading the same thing a second time, which you kind of are. But he said, this happened, and this happened, and God told me to go with these three guys. And when I got there, there was an angel that had appeared in this guy's house. And if an angel appeared in his house, how am I not going to go in there? It's got to be pure if an angel appeared. So he walked in and he gave his, uh, he, he gave his sermon. And then they were baptized in the Spirit. And then he gives a reference in Scripture, you know, that God is going to baptize with the Spirit. So he, he ties it into rapture, so saying that this is going to be uh, foretold. And he... He substantiates everything that he did through testimony and through their understanding of God and how he works and through scripture. He justifies himself. And he justifies himself so thoroughly and makes his case, to use the debate term, that they have nothing to say. There's not, you know, he basically addresses all of their issues in his uh, testimony. And they go, okay, Gentiles. But it's amazing he had to go to Grandpa's house to get them to understand. Say again? He had to go about, about, around about to Grandma's house to get them to understand. He had to you know, give them almost a complete 
Well, blow by blow, you know, before they would finally. Sometimes it takes the blow by blow. I think, you know, sometimes you have to back up and explain step by step. You can't assume that your audience is on the same page as you are. So he, he, he backed up to the beginning of the chapter and started over again and, and caught them up and, and, and they're good. And I think that that's kind of it. So at this point, we've got the gospel being open to the Gentiles. Then, based upon that, that story, Luke immediately goes into this next segment of the chapter. And I think this first chapter, they're tied together. They're, they're kind of, it's an extension of the same idea. So, wow, I'm moving fast. Looking at verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We're going to come back and visit those in a minute. Telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and <clears throat> Serene, look that one up on your map, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, that's where the man that carried Christ's cross was from, Serene. Yes. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they heard wind of what was going on up in Antioch, and so they sent the brass in to investigate, because that's what happened. You send the big boss in to fix all that. So the marshal's coming to town. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, because it's Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius, according to Luke. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea who were under persecution from the Jews and who were about to go through famine. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, there is a whole lot in there. You know, the, the sad thing is that they seem to forget... Jesus brought the gospel to the Gentiles when he was doing his three and a half year ministry. I mean, he went to the Samaritans, he went to the Gentiles. It's like did Peter, you know, it's like Peter forgot all about all that. Well, because they were they were following, you know, with Jesus, you know. I mean, so yes, probably, you know, he just didn't remember that. You know, I guess so. <laughs> Guess, guess Peter should have been paying more attention. Yeah. So uh, the Sanhedrin in the previous chapters have come down on the Christian church and they killed Stephen and they're imprisoning people and 
Christians scattered. They packed up and left because the Nazis are coming. So they moved to, that was a bad reference, and I apologize. <laughs> um, they move out of Jerusalem because that's where the initial problem is, and they go out into the dysphoria, and they're living in you know, the Roman world where there are lots of Jewish communities. There's lots of places they can go. A lot of those places are more Hellenistic than Hebrew, so they're reading their Bible in a Greek version of the Old Testament rather than the Hebrew version of the Old Testament because they're culturally, they're kind of mixed. And so um, they've all gone out. Now, still say that God had a hand in that because of course he did because they didn't do what he said. He stayed when they they stayed in Jerusalem instead of going to the uttermost parts. Uh, Stephen says that there are people that travel to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. I included a little map on the back of your notes in case you haven't found it. And Jerusalem is in the bottom right-hand side, and all three of these cities are going straight up. Uh, Phoenicia isn't on this, but Phoenicia, if you'll look at where Damascus is, and then where Syria and Antioch is, and put a dot right smack in the middle about where the word Syria is on the map, that's Phoenicia. It, it, it's just right up the coast above <laughs> Damascus. And then We've got Cyprus, which is the island in the middle of the uh, uh, Mediterranean, which has at least one major city on it and maybe more, several more, I think. And then there's Antioch, which is referring to what the map calls Syrian Antioch, uh, just above it. So it's right there. Now, so it's in current day Syria. Now notice where Tarsus is from Syria, Antioch. It's just kind of across the bay on the other side. Of the, that, that's where Paul was from and where Paul went to after the uh, people in Jerusalem kind of asked him to leave because he was kind of causing trouble because everybody's scared of him. And so it is a three-hour boat ride from Syrian Antioch to Tarsus uh, rather than walking around the bay, which would take you a significantly more amount of time. Okay, so basically everything that he's referring to is this, this, all these people that travel north to get away from Jerusalem, and they are all witnessing to their friends and their relatives, and there's this growing Christian uh, following in each of these places. Now, Antioch. Uh, Antioch had half a million people in it. It was massive. In the Roman world, there, uh, it was the third largest city in Rome. First one being Rome, the second one being Alexandria in northern Africa down the coast here. And then, uh, and then the next one is Antioch. And uh, Antioch was founded by one of the... Uh, Okay, Alexander the Great conquered all of the Middle East and Eastern area, and when he passed, the, his kingdom broke up into four kingdoms, and four of his generals took it over. And uh, the general that was in charge of Syria founded 15 towns. He liked founding towns, and he named them all after his father, Antioch. There are 15 Antioch. Antioch. Yes. Syria. Yes. Uh, which 
Let's just look at fusion later. So George Froman. Exactly, exactly, because it's an important name, yes. And so this is called Syrian Antioch, and it had other names too. They named it by the river that it was. It's the Antioch of Anta something or other, whatever the river was. And then all of the other Antiochs have little uh, definitive names to the right. So in the United States, we have Washington, D.C., and in Texas, we have Washington on the Brazos. And you have to add that on the Brazos or it gets really, really confusing because that's a little nothing town where, where, where our, our, our current government began. So it's kind of important. Uh, anyway, it's, it's like that. So Syrian Antioch was the largest of all of those towns, obviously. Uh, also, uh, it was very, very Greek. Not so much Roman, yes? Is that where you go to, is that where they went to pay the taxes? No. Well, probably. It was a big town. Yeah, if you were born there. Yeah. That's what I meant. Sure. I don't know what you're referring to, Ron, to be, to be, be honest. But anyway, um, it, was, it, was, it was known for business. Okay, I, I found a reference. It said that cities in uh, Rome were known for different things. Rome was known about for power. Alexandria was known for intellect. Athens was known for philosophy. And Antioch was known for business. And business can be translated into organized crime. Uh, because there was uh, several large Greek temples that were within five or six miles around the outside of Antioch. Uh, several of them, uh, as part of worship in that temple, engaged in organized prostitution. There were thousands of prostitutes in some of those cities, and all of those were supported by Antioch. Uh, there were, you know, and, and to do business in the Middle East, uh, you have to know somebody and make sure that it's okay to do business on this street and not that street, and you have to pay somebody in order to go here. You know, that was just, it wasn't crime, that was just business, that's the way it worked, you know. It's kind of like, you know, the Greek monsters when they came over to America, they were paying, <coughs> forcing the store owners to pay for protection. You know, or else, you know, it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Corruption, yes. That's the, I think they invented corruption, <laughs> yeah. to tell you the truth. And so, and so that's what Antioch was kind of known for. It was, it was a tough town. And for uh, good little Hebrew Jewish people, they would find them to be really uh, uncomfortable doing business there. In fact, they didn't, you know, just, 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 it would make you unclean just walking down the road, you know. And so it, it wasn't a very popular place for, for people of Jerusalem. Uh, so, having said all of that, people traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, working their way up, telling the message only to Jews. So they're talking to Jewish communities because I assume that's who they were related to and that's where they can hide. And that's, you know, the birds of a feather flock together. Mm -hmm. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus, who are people on the island, and Serene. Where is Serene on this map? Well, it's not on that map, because Serene is 500 miles away. Uh, it, I don't have a map of the whole Mediterranean, but the Mediterranean goes far to the east where it connects with the uh, Atlantic, right? 
So you've got Alexandria, you've got Jerusalem here, Alexandria here. Serene is the same distance away from Alexandria as Alexandria is from Jerusalem. It's, it's literally 500 miles down the road. Uh, it's way off. It was a pretty big city. Not to Rome, though, yet. No. Yeah. No. Uh, and so it's still on the African coast. It's very similar to Alexandria, but it's just further down. And it was a smaller city. And so there's a guy from 500, you know, people, Christians, these new Christians in Jerusalem have gone that far, I assume because they have relatives there, and they're crashing with the uncle because they're under, you know, being, being charged. And so they're converting people, and so now we've got these people that, have, that are from that city that have just become Christians, and they are traveling in the Mediterranean up to, you know, by boat to the Cyprus, where they have friends and relatives. And, oh my goodness, there's a Christian, you know, group there that's just started. Well, they're going to start preaching to people that they know, and they ended up going to Antioch, which is a, a huge huge Greek background city and who do you think they're going to start preaching to but Greeks not Hellenistic Jews Greeks Dionysi worshipping Apollo worshipping prostitute frequenting Greeks uh, this is way outside of the uh, nice boy Jewish experience but they're bypassing it sounds like all the Gentiles they're, they're bypass. They are Gentiles. What are you talking about? You said they're going to the Greeks and they're going to the Jews, but, that, but what about the Gentiles? Well, the Greeks are Gentiles. Greeks, Greeks by definition, are Gentiles. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I get a point there. I think. Yeah, you can get yeah, Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, so, so now we have Greeks who are converting to Christianity, who are not of any kind of Jewish background. And they are joining this Christian church in Antioch. And all of these God-fearing Jewish Christians are looking at those crazy Greek Christians. And they're a little scared. And they come back and they tattled. Because that's what always happens. So they come back and they tattle in Jerusalem to tell, uh, uh, you know, on what's going on. And Jerusalem sends out you know, a big shot to go check on this because that's the other thing that happens. When you have a big problem, somebody find, you find an officer and send the officer in to fix it and he takes charge and cleans everything up, you know. So if things are out of hand, you need somebody with authority to go in and, uh, and take care of it. And Barnabas is the guy in charge. I think that's interesting because the last time we saw Barnabas, he was uh, giving money to the church in Jerusalem, and then he's uh, taking care of Paul, and so or Saul, excuse me, he hasn't changed his name yet, and so he's the one taking Saul's side and introduced him, although he didn't get accepted, and uh, Saul goes back to Tarsus, but Barnabas is still continuing in the leadership in Jerusalem. So now he's he even... wasn't one of the uh, ones they appointed to watch over the widows? And no. He wasn't? No, not to my knowledge. Okay. It was Stephen, and I forget the other one's name. He, yeah, he, I know there was seven of them, whatever. I think Barnabas, at this point, has climbed in rank. Okay. And then they paired him with, with Saul. Which well, getting there, getting there. And they didn't pair him at all. He, he took that on his own initiative, I think. 
So Barnabas uh, goes and uh, encourages them and decides that there is nothing wrong going on in Syria because this is all proper. And, and he's already gotten this message from Peter about how we're opening up the message to Gentiles. And, he, you know, so he's staying on message there. And after he speaks to them and he's deciding that everything's okay, here he is. And 10 years ago, Saul went back to Tarsus. It's been 10 years at this point. It's been, I think it was 13 years since Paul was converted on the road to Dema uh, 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 Emmaus. Emmaus. So he hasn't been doing his ministry yet? You know what? I'm just asking. I, I don't know because, you know, he wrote to Arabia. Since I don't have yet to hear to say uh, the, the Bible is silent on this, you know, uh, we don't really don't know what Paul was doing during that 10 years. However, later on in his uh, letters, he gives a list of all of his beatings. And we do not have cross-referencing on all of his beatings. He was stoned and, and beaten and lashed and left for and dead. Left for dead. And, 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 and several of those, we don't know when those happened. And I have to assume that they happened before all this ministry started during this 10-year gap. I think Paul was preaching in Tarsus. How could he not? He started preaching immediately upon being converted. And that's why God got him into trouble. But they've got him up there in Greek land in Syria and he's not causing so much trouble. I think there's a church in Tarsus that, that's following Paul, but there, there's no, Luke doesn't reference it. Now, what about where it mentions that he went after his conversion down into Arabia? Saul. I know what you're referring to, but I have not looked that up recently, and I don't know what to okay. say there. Yeah, um, I think he did do some travel. But there was a, a whole span of time there as well. Yeah. Because it speaks about years. Sure. Yeah. Didn't he go into Africa as well? Or am I mistaken? He's largely going up in that way. He's too white for Africa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lord. Okay, so. Um, I'm <laughs> you threw me off. Where I'm was sorry. I going? I'm sorry. I was on a roll. Where Saul was. Okay, so so Barnabas is going to go check on Saul, and and he's got this growing. Uh, you know, he's in the middle of Greek land, and uh, all these Gentiles are converting to Christianity. They need organization. They don't have uh, good little synagogue backgrounds that can easily lead into this. You know, how do you? You know, are they going to translate Christianity by Dionysi? That might be kind of weird, you know. They've got habits that don't fit the Christian view at all. Uh, he, they, need, they need instruction. They need discipleship badly. And Peter caused such a ruckus between himself and Paul that Barnabas separated from him. Eh, that comes later. So Barnabas goes to... Tarsus, because it's three hours up the road and he can be there by noon, and he had to go hunt 
for Saul because he hadn't kept up with Saul in the last 10 years, but he goes and tracks him down and he brings Saul back to Antioch and they spend a year establishing churches in Antioch. And I'm thinking Paul's already had a little practice establishing churches. He's, you know, he's been 10 years knocking about off of the scripture and, and he immediately knows how to do that. I think God prepares people, you know. Aren't some, aren't some of his writings here, I mean, Ephesians and Corinthians and all that, some of the churches that he established? Yes. He established a bunch of churches. He never writes the Church of Tarsus, though. I don't know. That we know of, you know. Maybe, you know, they didn't duplicate that letter 15,000 times. Anyway, um... Yeah, maybe not. I, I, I don't know. And that's one of the characteristics of an apostle, too. A church planter. Oh, Starting okay. Starting new churches, and that's one of the things they are known for. They went through a lot of pain starting on some of them. So, he's in Antioch, preaching directly to Gentiles for a full year, in an enormous city that is known for its corruption and decadence paganism. and paganism. <laughs> yeah. He's in the middle of it. And uh, I the think, light shines brighter in the middle of all that. I fire. think so, yes. And I think I think Saul had a well, I think he had a calling to the Gentiles. I, I think he do, but I think he had a taste for it too. I think, you know. When you read his other epistles, he writes like a lawyer. It's, uh, he builds cases. He, he gives a premise and then supports it. And uh, it, it's like he's trying to convince a judge in all of his writings. And I think that's how you approach a Greek. Greeks were kind of known for being logical. You know, uh, logic is called Greek logic when you get into, you know, the philosophy of it and teaching it in school. And if you're going to talk a Greek into seeing something your way, you get all of that emotion out of the way. We don't want to uh, overwhelm, you know, and, and people are convinced in different ways. But, but, but for somebody from a Greek background, it has to be laid out in a step-by-step and a step-by-step case. It's a that type A conversion. It's the C.S. Lewis conversion. It's the Strobel conversion. You know, if you've read any of those books, you know, the, the, these were not men that would be overwhelmed by feeling. It needs to make sense. They say that's the way the Italians are. Are they? I don't know. I'm just, I, I, someone just, I just said, <laughs> someone said that that's kind of the way the Italians are. You can't go in there like American businessmen go in like they're going to you know, a bull in a china cabinet, but they can't. You can't approach businessmen in, in Italy like that because they <coughs> believe in things being calm. Well, I think there are lots of different cultures in in the world, and and I think there are lots of different learning styles in humanity, and I think we all come to God from our own place wherever we are, and I think God reaches out to humanity in a multitude of ways. You know. Uh, I once heard of a conversion experience by a woman who was uh, a drug addict and she was in the middle of, she was high 
and uh, she was praying, and God appeared to her as an enormous bird that flew in and out of the window, and, and you know, she describes this experience. It doesn't really match anything I've ever seen in scripture and sounds a whole lot like a hallucination, but after it was over, she completely and thoroughly converted to Christianity and, and has, has, has stayed at it and wrote books and, and you know, had a profound effect on the, on the kingdom. You know, I think the Holy Spirit comes to us the way we understand it. Does that make sense? As I continue this line of thought, um, in Islam, which is a very insular community, and people who live in Islam may not come in contact with any other ideas that aren't Islamic, it's kind of hard to break into that community as a witness. And you have this same experience, because I've seen this testimony over and over, about people who had a dream about Isla, the, uh, the man in white, they call him. And so they, they literally call it the man in white dream. And uh, you dream about, they dream of Jesus. Isla is their name for Jesus. And Jesus speaks to them in their dream. And they know who Jesus is because he's the prophet that they ignore in the Quran. And they go back and reevaluate Jesus and they're coming to Christianity based upon a dream of Islam because God reaches us the way we have to be reached out to. Because God makes a way. Does that make sense? So, you know, I used to be kind of judgmental when I listened to people's testimonies going, well, I don't sound right, he's making that stuff up. Uh, I'm a lot more generous than I used to be as far as that goes because, I, you know, everybody isn't me. It's like they all should be, but 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 everybody isn't me. I acknowledge that. It's like yes. people, it's like people that die and say they go to heaven temporarily, or they go into the light and oh, they're just making it up. They see things, you know. You don't yeah. you don't know if that <laughs> you don't know if, you don't know if that's true or not. You don't no, know. I don't know. It's true. I question it all. <laughs> so words that you know, dreams come by virtue of a multitude of busyness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's how God can really get a hold of you is in a dream. Yeah. So now say that again? Huh? What did you say? I said God gets through to people. It says dreams come, the word says dreams come by virtue of a multitude of busyness. You're so busy you can't take time to hear or listen. So God comes in a dream and brings revelation to you to receive from him. And that's what we've seen, in, I'm seeing from the context of Africa, we've seen a lot of that in the Islam community. Right. Yeah. Muslim community. Okay, verse 26, the end of it, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Ian, the last three letters on Christian, is Latin for people of, and literally it means Christ people. Good you know? And uh, <laughs> several commentators suggested <coughs> that this was a derogatory. <coughs> oh, really? The, uh, they were calling it the way, because that was, Luke referenced that earlier. And, uh, and so people started calling them those Christ people, which makes sense. 
And you know, even in the military, in the Roman military, uh, they would identify a soldier by his general. So if you were fighting for, if you fought directly under Caesar, you were a Caesarian. You know, and if you were fighting under somebody else, you were a so-and-so you know, at the end. And so that was a common way to identify. You're one of, one of those people. And uh, the Christians embraced it. Yes, we are Christ people. You know, and so uh, they, it, it may have been a derogatory or they may have just started calling well, themselves. Well, there, there is a group called the Way that is not Christian at all, but it picked up off of that. It's like a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not as big now, but it was in the 60s and 70s. And this is for Kenny, and then there's the Mandalorians. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. I had to get that about. I think uh, they, they stole the term in, in, in fiction. Anyway. Uh, okay. So, yes. So, so this is where Christians takes off, and just. And it's all about wordplay, so it did, okay. 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. I think it's interesting that it says down from Jerusalem because I, I think it's up in every connotation of that word. I don't know why it says down. Mine doesn't say it. Mine says in these days came prophets from Jerusalem. Okay, fine. Uh, maybe in this, in this, oh my word, his Bible is better than mine at that, at that verse. Points for Bill, two points for you, since I've been picking on your Bible for years. Okay, um, so they came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them was named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine was spread over the entire Roman world. Ooh, famine's coming. And evidently, this was significant, and people paid attention, and uh, they started to prepare accordingly, because why would this prophet say this if we didn't need to hear the message? God must have used famines a lot, because, you know, that happened with Joseph, a famine. And uh, Luke, Luke comes in to say this happened during the reign of Claudius, and uh, Claudius Caesar is in power at this point, and uh, uh, Josephus, who was the Hebrew historian of Rome at the time, uh, also refers to the famine under the time of Claudius. And uh, so there are outside references outside of Scripture to say that all this happened. So we have a we have a prophet saying this is going to this is going to happen. And so now we have Greek Christians who are collecting money to support the uh, Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea, south of Jerusalem, uh, who are under attack by the, the, the Jewish church, and they're the impoverished ones. So these Greeks are sending money for the support of the Christian church. And first of all, that seems to be the first reference not only of Christian generosity and charitable support in literature, it seems to be the first reference of charitable support 
period in literature. Isn't it interesting he was Christian? Yes. You know, and, and when I first read that, I thought, oh, no, that can't be the case. And, you know, not really. I can think of all kinds of cases where, you know, uh, uh, rulers gave away money, but that's not charity. You know, they, it was it, the first time anybody's taken up a collection to support another people happens right here. I th you know, I think that's interesting. It is Christians. A, a major mind change has happened even for the, the ancient world. And uh, that's a new concept. So they want to send that down to Jerusalem. And so Barnabas and Saul, who are the preachers in this, in this, in this church, are chosen to send that down to them. And so Saul, after 10 years of banishment from Jerusalem by the apostles, because his very presence was causing trouble, comes back to Jerusalem as the head of a Christian church in Antioch with cash in his hand. And that opens the doors. It opens all kinds of doors. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yes, amazing. that's the American way right there. Just buy yourself back in. Uh, but, you know, it's not the first time that that's happened. Um, when Jacob was separated from Esau and came back to be reconciled with him, you know, he sent in waves and waves and waves and waves of wealth to uh, kind of soften up Esau. To, you know, three days of, of, of free animals coming in from, from Egypt before he comes in, or whatever direction it came from. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a plan. And so I, Paul is, goes a long way to being restored as one of the, uh, as the leadership of the Christian, the Christian I church. Think, I think it is despicable the fact that it took that for them to accept him. They should have accepted him to begin with. If God called him, they should have accepted him. <sighs> Listen, the church is like that today. Bill, Bill, uh, Bill. But yeah, my point uh, is, you know, you don't. The assemblies of God is like that today. You know, we're, we're human beings. If, if you, you know, when somebody punches you in the face, you remember it for the rest of your life. Even though you said, I forgive you. You can forgive them, but... You don't forget. No, no. Forgetting is a totally different thing. Trust is a totally different thing. Trust is earned. And I realize I'm a cynic and I embrace that, but... You know, Paul had to earn his way back in. You know, he, he's been he's been having people killed. He killed people, and so you know, do I want to go to the church of the guy that kills people? I think I, you know, if I've got a choice, I'm going somewhere else. I am. I'm not going to that guy. And so you know, now that he's running this church for ten, it was his decade ago. Tom heals wounds. You know. It was a full decade ago, and he's been working hard as a Christian preacher, you know, in a tough area, tough, you know, got a big church in a tough area, and uh, he, he comes in with cash, with cash is nice, uh, you know, we're not going to turn away the money. It's like he had to buy his way in. Yeah, okay, I accept that. Which I think is wrong. <sighs> okay, you think it's wrong. I think that you know, the Bible says, touch not, or something like that. Uh, 
the hairs on, on, a, on a, a man called God. He says, touch not. not my anointed to do my prophet no harm. Thank you. Uh, and so that's why I say that if he was called, despite his background, because he's not the first preacher that's come from the dark side to become a preacher. There have been a few. Yeah. Uh, there, there and then, yeah, one way or another. Um, I also think, you know, it's just human nature. Uh, and we're still human. And uh, the churches are still human. And um, money makes a difference. I mean, let, let's embrace it. I used to joke, well, it wasn't really a joke, I used to tell my students that, uh, you know, there are really good looking, you know, men who are, you know, who are in eight, you know, in a scale of one to 10, and uh, they're gonna get the girl. And if you're a five. I was a three. If you were, if you're a three, you understand <laughs> it. Yeah, I know you were. If, if you're a five and uh, you wanna get that cheerleader, you know, all those eights are gonna be in the way. But you can make up the difference by having a lot of money in your pocket. Yes. And uh, it worked for me. You know, I figured I was, I was sick. Uh, <laughs> I was sick. Uh, I was sick. And I, 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 anytime I went on a date, I had $200 in my pocket. And uh, oh, you, know, you know what? Well, I, you know, I, did, I worked in a cash business. So, you know. Yeah, and so uh, it made a difference. I'd be, I'd be your friend. Yeah. yeah, see? See? If you knew I had $100 in my pocket, it changes the way you look at me. You know, it wasn't like I had wealth. I just had it all in my pocket. So, you know, and so, uh, you know, it makes a difference. And, and you don't want to flash it around, but you want to make sure that somebody sees the stack of 20s at some point. You know, and then, and then just let it go from there. And, and that can make the difference between a 5 and an 8. You should try it sometime, Bill. <laughs> well, I'm a three. I don't think there's enough money. Uh, I had several students who were complaining about not having girlfriends. And I said, you know, carry a lot of cash. It'll make a difference, I promise. Mm -hmm. So It works. Okay. <laughs> yes, or the cynicism is just so thick in the room, it is hard to deal with, isn't okay. it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, with that, I am done. And with chapter 11, and uh, we are going to pick up with Peter's escape from prison on chapter 12. Oh, look at all of the maps on my next page of my Bible. Why didn't I look here? I still don't have a good shot of the Mediterranean, though. All right. Uh, chapter 12, uh, goodbye, Internet.